0: Welcome to the Story Church Podcast. The Story Church Podcast is the official podcast of the Story Church Project, which focuses on redesigning Adventism from tradition to mission. Hey, what's up guys? I'm super excited about today's episode. I want to welcome you back. Uh, We're going to have a lot of fun today, but before we begin, I once again want to take a moment to give a shout out to The Haystack, because this episode of The Story Church Podcast is actually sponsored by The Haystack. Now, if you don't know anything about The Haystack, it is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and tons of other really cool stuff. So make sure you guys check them out. This is thehaystack.org, and their focus is life culture, and theology. So make sure you give them a, uh, a visit sometime soon. There's some really cool stuff on there. Now on today's episode, I wanted to interact a little bit with uh, last week's episode. There's actually gonna be a follow-up interview with Pastor Mike, uh, I believe next week, where we're gonna talk a little bit more about, uh, dive a little bit more into the issues surrounding last generation theology and the impact that they have on local church mission. Um, and, and, and for what I wanted to do for this episode today was just interact with some of the questions I received and then next week Mike and I are going to dive in a slightly different direction. We'll probably brush on some of these things again, but we're going to drive, dive in a slightly different direction and look for some real practical uh, ways forward. Uh, but if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, it was titled How to Free Your Local Church from Last Generation Theology. And really the focus of that episode was Uh, or the the bottom line of the episode was that if we want to redesign our churches for mission it's not just about the structure of the church right you can have a strategy and all this cool stuff um you know to reach your community but ultimately it's about your story right this is why this project is why i call this project the story church project because it's not just about the way we run the church it's about the story that the church tells and if the story that your local church is telling is fundamentally unhealthy um, not only is that going to make mission more difficult in in terms of reaching people and connecting with people who find meaning in the story that you're telling but what i have found is that it will actually kill your desire to reach out anyways um and so what I want to do today is I just want to explore some of the questions that I received over the last week, um, give a few answers, and then I want to touch on five ideas that kill your local church's mission. And there's a reason why I want to touch on these five ideas, which I'll explain toward the end of the Q&A section. So let me start with some questions that I've received um, over the last uh, week since the episode was published. And by the way, I want to thank you guys um, because this episode with Mike, I was actually um, quite surprised that it became as popular as fast as it did. It's it's gotten way more listens in a short amount of time uh, than I usually get, and so clearly this is a topic that people are interested in, that um, they wanna interact with and understand. And even if you didn't agree with us, I hope that you found some sort of meaning and value in what we had to share. Uh, so I wanna thank you guys because uh, we wouldn't be able to, to do this, um, I wouldn't be able to do this rather uh, if it wasn't for having such a cool group of people who tune in each week uh, to give a listen to just the different perspectives and ideas that um, that I'm sharing. So thank you guys again. Now, here are some questions that came through. And um, these questions are um, probably a bit more from the angle of people who weren't quite gelling with what Mike and I were um, aiming at. And so I want to see if I can maybe clarify a few things or explain a few things in a bit more so that when Mike and I get back together next week, we can we can dive deeper in some other areas. Uh, but the first question was, um, should we attack last generation theology or should we coexist with it? Uh, and that's that's a really good question, because I think, you know, we're, we're at a point in uh, the history of our church where we're kind of we've seen what the results of attacking each other is. And it never actually ends up anywhere good. I believe it was Alfred Leroy Moore who wrote a really cool book called um I think it was called Principles of Humility, What to Do When You Know You're Right. Uh Something like that. If you just look up A. Leroy Moore books, you'll find something that sounds something like that. It's a great book. Um and also Adventist Cultures in Conflict is another book that he wrote, which is also a great book. And um I love Alfred because he's a super humble guy who tackles these issues. Uh, in a non-antagonistic way and and so if there's anyone that I would recommend you listen to especially with regard to these types of topics it's Alfred because he's just so mellow so down-to-earth I mean he's, he's an amazing dude I've never met him in person but I've been really blessed by his ministry um, So anyways, one of the points that Alfred makes in in his writings is that the history of division in Adventism has more to do with how we treat each other than with the actual disagreement that we have. So, you know, I can have position A in theology and you can have position B, but that's never been the thing that has caused division in the church. What's always caused division is that I treat you like garbage and vice versa, right? Uh, We call each other names and we... um, we deliberately or maybe not so deliberately i don't know uh, misrepresent one another we caricature one another we don't listen to each other um we talk past each other those types of things and and so what people do in those situations is they dig their heels really deep into their respective camps and then the trenches are dug and it's just a never-ending warfare Uh, so I certainly don't gel with that because look to be honest with you I hate arguing about religion I think arguing about religion is really really dumb and I personally find the whole thing you know just ridiculous particularly when, when you're really committed to reaching out to a culture that doesn't even know Christ to be caught up in endless arguments over religion is just so I don't know like it's kind of boring to be honest Um, And so I definitely don't think that when it comes to issues like last generation theology, that we should be on some sort of uh, vitriolic and violent offensive. I mean, not at all. Um, Rather, what I think needs to be done is we need to have the conversation and now this is a conversation that has taken place many times in our church lots of scholars and theologians have written about this george knight professors at andrews university recent recently published the book god's character in the last generation you know there's a lot of stuff out there um and so for me really what i'm what i'm looking at is look how can we have this conversation in a way where we're addressing the issues without being vitriolic toward each other you know without attacking each other and, and so I don't believe that we should attack LGT because I don't think that that's productive. And I think that a lot of people who teach LGT are just, you know, I mean, as much as I disagree with them, there's one area that I'm totally in tune with them. And that is that at the very least, they want people to love God and to follow him wholeheartedly. And that's something that I can totally gel with. Like, I want people to love God and follow him wholeheartedly. I'm... You know, I'm, I'm definitely not into this like sort of half-hearted Christianity where I go to church and sing a few songs about how much God loves me and then just like live life for myself. Right. I'm not into that narrative. Uh, and I know that LGT proponents aren't either. They want people to really have uh, a, a serious walk with God. Right. And, and I can gel with that. I can gel with that. Um, I disagree with the method by, or, and the ideas by which they attempt to lead us there. Uh, but I can gel with that. And and so I definitely don't think we want to be on the attack. Um, at the same time, though, um, I honestly believe that as a church, we can't coexist with ideas like last generation theology. And I'll explain this more um, on the fifth question. The fifth question that I asked was, shouldn't we just forget about this? So I'll dive into it a little bit more there. Um... But yeah, I don't think we can coexist with Last Generation Theology as a church. I don't think we can coexist with any unhealthy um, theological ideas. And sometimes people will ask, well, what do you mean by unhealthy? Like, who decides what unhealthy is? Uh, And honestly, I don't think it's that complicated. Uh, I'm going to talk in today's episode about the five ideas that will kill your local church's mission. And I think those five ideas really highlight what unhealthy is. So I'm going to save that for then. Um, And you'll see like it's, you know, it's not that hard. It's not like some giant relativistic thing. It's not difficult to identify what's healthy and what's unhealthy. Um, And so we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, With that said, I do want to be very clear that, um, you know, when I say we can't coexist with last generation theology, um, I understand that different people have different perceptions of what last generation theology is and so the second question i'm moving on to the second question now the second question that i got was do i even understand last generation theology right because i had people writing and saying last generation theology is not perfectionism you're misunderstanding it and you know all kinds of things um and here's where i gotta be really honest guys i understand that there's a spectrum in last generation theology as there is with pretty much any theological idea there's always a spectrum of belief that ranges from mild to to more radical Um, and and I get that like I'm not saying that every single person who claims to believe and teach last generation theology is some monster in disguise because that's not what I believe at all Uh, I have heard um, people who teach last generation theology in the past in a way that I'm kind of like okay you know what we're not too far apart you know there's still some key areas that I disagree with that I think are very important but you know okay we we can we can we can gel you know Um, we can we can see each other's perspectives Uh, definitely when it comes to the radical wing I would say not a chance Um, but uh, you know we, we can't coexist with that but look I understand that there is a spectrum of belief in last generation theology now with that said and Mike and I will talk about this a little bit more next week um i think that regardless of which part of the spectrum of lgt you fall into you pretty much you're setting yourself up for for failure Uh, because even the more mild versions of lgt tend to be like gateway drugs to the more radical versions um it's just the way lgt is set up and so um, lgt which a lot of people don't realize like lgt is not a doctrine right lgt is a system of thought it's a way of stringing together various ideas in the bible um and 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 various themes right and so when we look at last generation theology the foundations of last generation theology are are not what the problem is right so like last generation theology will teach things like there's going to be a final generation or you know there's this doctrine of the perfection of christian character right um there's this close of probation all of those ideas like that's not what's wrong with last generation theology right those are doctrines that last generation theology attempts to explain through a system through a worldview, and it's the way in which they string them together and explain them that i find problematic not the ideas themselves and so some people in attacking last generation theology will go so far as to say yeah look there there isn't going to be a final generation and character perfection is nonsense and you know all these things and i don't agree with that like i still agree with those doctrines i just completely disagree with the way that LGT as a system strings them together because I think it's leads to some really unhealthy uh, experiences and so this is another um, perspective that I offer to the question do I really understand LGT Um, and and really to be honest whenever you are interacting with an idea that someone else holds dear it's so hard because no matter what you say and how you explain it um, you're always going to be accused of misrepresenting. So I do my absolute best, right? Like, I got to be honest, I do my absolute best. And I think not only my experience, but the experience of many other people who I interact with on a regular basis. I get emails, I get messages all the time. Um, And then, of course, the experience of so many different scholars and theologians and and pastors in the church who have interacted with these ideas uh, that I've been researching for, you know, many years. I think all of that collectively says, look... I'm pretty sure I get it right now a bit of background I used to teach LGT all right Um, I used to preach it I used to hear sermons all the time by LGT um, proponents I read their books um, probably not every single one you know but quite a few heard lots and lots and lots of sermons from guys who promote LGT um, and I myself started preaching and promoting these ideas and um, the reality is that the stuff messed me up, man. Like, it messed me up. And and I don't want to say, like, it's not that the theology itself single-handedly messed me up psychologically or emotionally. But the thing is that theology is sort of like a lens through which we interpret, the you know, our lives. And what I found was that as I experienced suffering and trial in life, last generation theology provided me with a platform that was very flimsy. Um, that was very self-focused and so I ended up with really bad anxiety and I don't want to say oh look it's all last-generation theology's fault because there was things going on in my life not just theology right there were other things going on in my life but that theology did not help like it made things worse and my wife has been through a similar experience when she was a teenager um, ideas prevalent in in lgt camps um led her to attempt suicide because she felt like you know what i'm never going to be good enough what's the point and people can bark all day like oh last generation theology doesn't teach that um and my response would be like why is these experience so prevalent in that camp like there seems to be these type a personalities who can embrace the theology without it affecting them too much but then everybody else just gets really messed up right um, so do I understand LGT? I believe I have a very fair understanding of LGT. And even if you doubt my understanding of LGT, uh, Mike, who I interviewed last week, um, has an even better one because he interacts live with people who teach LGT all the time. Uh, he has these conversations all the time in person. And, you know, I I, I don't really debate too much because it's not really my thing. I don't really care for it. Uh, but Mike does. He's even He's even offered to have, like, you know, legitimate, um, you know, what do you call those things, like legitimate, um, scheduled, organized debates with LGT proponents. This is something that um, he's quite skilled at and familiar with. Um, but I would say, look, I've had experience not only believing it and teaching it, but ever since coming out of it because of the damage it was doing. Um, thank God for that. Um you know for him leading me out of that and my wife uh i've been researching it over and over again you know for the last six seven years i don't know i can't keep count Uh, so i think i get i think i get it um now the next question that i got was is lgt really as damaging as we say it is and i think i kind of already answered that It, it it depends like there's a lot of people who believe it who never really seem to be that affected by it but then there's people who take its logical, take it to its logical conclusion and that's where you really start to see the damage. You know, I've had emails from, you know, young people who have been to self-supporting institutions, you know, you know academies and, and schools um, where it's basically LGT and, and they come out, you know, like really messed up and they're sending me these emails and they're like, you know, how do I understand this? How do I navigate this? I had one guy who wrote me after having split his wrist. You know because of um the things that he was exposed to at a, at a independent academy and then he came back home and there was all these trials and troubles in his household and you know his family didn't want him there and it kind of hit him like you know what i'm not good enough for my family i'm not good enough for god what's the point in going on living you know and we can bark all day like oh hey lgt doesn't teach we're not good enough for god uh but i would beg to differ and um I, I definitely, you know, when you have a theological system that's rooted in the idea that the great controversy can, cannot end until a group of human beings achieve a level of moral perfection that proves that the gospel works, like Mike Maneo was saying last week, um, you basically make the gospel, the end of the great controversy, contingent on human behavior and and saying oh but it's by god's grace that we do that it doesn't help it's like a baptized version of legalism um last generation theology really at the bottom end uh, at the bottom line is what jesus did plus what i do equals salvation like that's really what it boils down to it's not jesus only right and when i was in that camp people were really really uncomfortable with the idea of grace alone and anytime you talked about grace someone had to jump in and say oh yeah but don't forget you still have to do abc it's like you couldn't just relax and enjoy grace because that's dangerous let's remind everyone about their obedience and their works and then you read ellen white's books and there's like 600 other rules and you're just like man i never (laughs) this is i'm just gonna give up like this ain't gonna work um so yeah look i do believe that it is very damaging now i want to make something really clear here Um, I made this point in the last episode and I want to make it again because at the end of the day, as much as I've talked about LGT up to now, at the end of the day, I don't really care about last generation theology as a label. And and the reason why I say that is because labels can be bent and twisted any way you want. You know, like somebody can say, hey, I believe in last generation theology and I don't believe in perfectionism and I don't believe in this and, you know, the pillars that we normally associate with last generation theology. And that's fine you know like if you believe in last generation theology but you don't believe in those unhealthy pillars then hey preach it i'll preach it with you right so it's not really the label that i'm upset about or or really against it's the undergirding ideas and those under undergirding ideas can manifest in a multiplicity of different labels and uh, my contention is that regardless of what label you put on it those underlying ideas which i'm i'm going to address in a few minutes they're unhealthy and and whether or not lgt like teachers believe them or not they are certainly beliefs that are common in those camps and common in conservative adventism and they're very damaging so again look we can spend all day arguing back and forth does lgt teach this does it not is it true is it not you know um do you know the proponents and theologians who promote these ideas do they believe this where do you know show me a quote and we can go about back and forth like a ping-pong battle all day. Um, and to be honest, it's a waste of time because it's not the label that I'm after, right? Like some people think A. Leroy Moore, who I mentioned earlier, teaches last-generation theology. And, uh, and he doesn't. But some people think he does, and that's fine. Uh, because the primary thing that I'm combating, again, is, is not the label. You know, if somebody says, hey, Pastor Marcus teaches last-generation theology. Cool, like who cares about the label, right? It's the underlying ideas that are common in that camp. Um, Common whether they're officially taught or not. Very common in that camp that I'm against because they are fundamentally unhealthy. They kill your capacity to do mission in any meaningful way. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, Next question, I only got two more and then we'll get to our theme. Um, Isn't cheap grace just as bad? Yeah, of course it is. And, you know, I find this question interesting because it's like, I don't advocate cheap grace. You know, I don't I don't advocate this, you know, just believe and do whatever you want. Like I don't think that that's meaningful at all, particularly in in reference to the social injustices that we face in the world today. I think that Christians by their character and and by the impulse of their very being ought to be the people who stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed and the suffering more than anyone else. And that's a gospel that goes beyond just believe and do whatever you want right and and of course i believe you know lifestyle is 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 a beautiful thing too when seen through the lens of grace um the way in which we live our lives uh fundamentally changes into something beautiful and poetic and romantic and and i think that there's a lot of overtones in scripture of this transformation of the self from someone who's fundamentally driven by the impulse of, of self to someone who's fundamentally driven by the impulse of of love. And and that's a transformative experiential reality, right? That's not just a, a legal declaration. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm not into cheap grace. I, I think it is just as bad. Um, and and I, I certainly don't advocate for it. But just because cheap grace can be bad... Um, doesn't doesn't somehow excuse or pardon you know legalism um yeah it, it just it just doesn't so last question um that someone asked is shouldn't we just forget this and here's the thing like i would love to just forget it uh because personally like especially as someone who's deeply involved in reaching secular postmodern modern people um this conversation is meaningless in that space right you you know you're talking with people who are unchurched entirely like they've never been to church they're post-christians um and these kinds of conversations you know if they were to see two adventists discussing this they'd be like what is wrong with you people like don't you have anything better to do with your time and i agree like i think the this entire debate is pretty ridiculous but the reason why i dive into it is almost because i feel like uh, here's the thing like i love the adventist church and i believe that we have a story to tell the culture that no one else is telling and one of the things that get in the way of us telling that story is unhealthy theology and so it's like i'm almost forced to dive back into the nonsense just to make an appeal and say hey you know let's let's (laughs) like i don't know i don't even know how to phrase it like let's let's do better right like let's rethink our theological paradigms that we're comfortable with and um And let's not teach that stuff you know it's unbiblical it's unhealthy it's it's damaging it doesn't even produce the very thing that it claims to um to produce and so i wish we could just forget it i wish we could just forget it but the fact is that these ideas uh, when a local church embraces them it damages personal spirituality it damages youth retention it damages evangelistic capacity it damages missional culture and it damages discipleship like it basically damages everything that the church is meant to be doing right um and that's not just a personal opinion like we look at the landscape of local Adventist churches and there's so many that are toxic and when you try and when you dig through you know where is the toxicity coming from Um, it's a combination of you know it's not all theology it's a combination of different factors but unhealthy theology theology that leads us to think about ourselves is definitely one of the one of the culprits you know and so so there's a lot of different stuff that we have to navigate for sure Um, it's not just theology and, and I talk about structure all the time on the story church project and all different types of things that that affect mission But this is definitely one of them you know and if your story is fundamentally unhealthy then you know it kind of doesn't matter what else you do and and i honestly i believe this is why adventist exists i believe this is why god raised the adventist church to be a movement of people who put tradition aside who put you know philosophy aside and who look at the bible and say what does it reveal about the character of god and how can we communicate that revelation to the world around us a world that is primarily perceives of god through the impact and influence of the medieval church right and and it's sort of terrifying and dictatorial picture of god and and this is a picture of god that bled into protestantism and we're a part of that right and, and we carry this ugly picture of god with us as well um and so but as a movement Our identity and our mission is to reveal the truth about God's character of love to a world that's inundated with lies about him and uh, and for me I think that means that if there's any church that ought to really be cognizant of its theological narrative and what what it's communicating about God's heart to the culture it ought to be ours and to just say hey look you know let's just coexist I mean like, I don't coexist with anti-Trinitarians, even though I respect them. Like, you know, I don't coexist with Shepherd's Rod, even though I, I respect them, I honor them. Like, I'm not gonna sit there and get into a screaming match with them or judge them or call them names. Like, I, I don't think that that's a healthy or productive thing to do. Like, I respect them. Those are their convictions. But, you know, I'm not gonna coexist with them because I believe their ideas are damaging. And so, you know, why is it that we somehow are okay with with this particular system of thought I don't know it kind of kind of confuses me you know it's like the same people who would be really upset and it's usually the conservative wing of the church right and look I hope it's I hope there's no misunderstanding like I'm a conservative right I'm definitely no no liberal Um, but uh, what I find often in, 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 in the conservative wing of the church is like we are really against theological pluralism you know we say hey you know we don't want these ideas and primarily the ideas that tend to be um uh rejected with most force are liberal ideas neo-orthodox ideas uh but then when you have this unhealthy paradigm because it's sort of part of conservative culture it's like oh yeah we can coexist with it no we we can't it's a damaging belief system guys uh uh, you know it, it really is and and i think that label aside the undergirding ideas that form a part of this um, theological narrative are very damaging and they're not okay like they're not okay Uh, i'm not going to be mean or disrespectful to our people who believe them but i am going to stand on that conviction and say look if we want to do something meaningful as a church to the culture one of the things we have to confront are these damaging ideas and we have to really make up our minds that it's not okay to Coexist with them and to and to promote them. They have to be challenged, right? Uh, in love, yes. Like we don't want a repeat of 1888 with people, you know, barking up each other's throats like children in a schoolyard. Um, but they still need to be challenged. And um, yeah, so those are some of the five questions that um that I received uh, during the last week in in response to the um to the interview that I did with Mike. And we are going to do a part two where we're going to explore a few more elements. We will brush up on some of these things as well because he's got his own thoughts on some of these things. And then we're also going to dive in a different direction and look at some of the more practical ways as well in, in, in which we can bring healing to our local churches, particularly in, in their theological arena. All right, so that leads me to the actual theme of, of this week's episode, and that is I call it five ideas that kill your local church's mission. Um, Now, like I said, these are ideas that I find very common in sort of ultra-conservative, last-generation theology camps. Um, My contention here is not whether or not last-generation preachers teach this, although I believe they do, and I've heard them say it. But that's not really my contention. I'm not standing or falling based on that. What I am contending with is that these ideas definitely exist, and that regardless of what label you put on them, they're going to kill your church's mission plain and simple, right? So um, these are five ideas that kill your local church's mission by damaging its culture and its capacity to interact with the world around it. So let's start with the first one. The first idea that I see um, being really problematic when it comes to understanding the character of God and you know causes a lot of issues, particularly when it comes to mission, which is really the main focus of our project is the idea that the law of god is some sort of imposed construct now when we talk about uh, concepts like last generation theology it's really important to realize that like last generation theology is not a doctrine it's a system through which we understand doctrine so for example in last generation theology we have one of the doctrines that's emphasized is sanctification or the perfection of Christian character. Now, that idea is not brand new to to last generation theology or Adventists, right? Uh, the perfection of Christian character and the importance of sanctification is a doctrine that was really, really highlighted and popularized by the Methodists, particularly John and Charles Wesley. Like this was sort of their claim to fame in the theological circles was rekindling the importance of these ideas um and so what we have here in last generation theology is not this unique you know like oh we alone believe in the perfection of christian character and sanctification um which is a problem because some people think hey if you don't believe in last generation theology then by default you must not believe in sanctification and and the growth of character etc etc and it's not true because last generation theology, what it does is it interprets those doctrines and many others through its particular lens. So LGT is not in itself a, the- a doctrine. LGT is a system through which we interpret various doctrines. Um, and that system has certain presuppositions like any system would. But one of the primordial presuppositions and and when i say primordial i mean there's presuppositions right that that any idea is built on but then there's a presupposition behind the presupposition right and i would say that one of the primordial presuppositions of of ideas like lgt and many others all right i'm not singling out lgt on this one it's this is pervasive throughout christianity as a whole um and that primordial presupposition is the idea that god's law is an imposed construct and what i mean by and and i'll talk about this more in the future because i feel like this is definitely something that needs to be hashed out um but we tend to picture the law of god the same way we picture the law of an empire right there's this construct there's this legal code that everyone is expected to live by and and you just you'd better live by it really really well or else there's going to be a punishment you know and and so then you have government which comes in and imposes the punishments and and um and and enforces the rules and you have the same perspective in um not just in democracies like in the west um and other parts of the world but you've also have it if you look in ancient times um even modern times i guess you don't have to look at ancient times at monarchies right where the monarch in or the emperor uh or the caesar whatever you want to call it is the one who imposes um the rules, right? They impose the behavior, and so you've got this law that is fundamentally. Um, so you've got this law that is fundamentally um, imposed, right? It's it's coercive. It's it's not rooted in anything natural. It's just this is this is what I want to be done. And this is what is going to be done. And if you don't agree or if you rebel or if you don't comply, then there's going to be consequences and there's going to be punishment. And that's how the vast majority of us view the law of God. Uh, And this isn't just LGT. I mean, this is Christianity. It is pervasive throughout Christianity, right? Um, And it's certainly a primordial presupposition of last generation theology. is the idea that God's law is this imposed construct. And and you see it with people who are really strict when it comes to the law. Um, They tend to have this attitude about them that, you know what? God said it and that settles it, you know? Or, um, you know, God said it this way and it's really easy to obey God just just do it you know (laughs) like just be disciplined and just try harder and 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 when people fail to keep the law of god um and they break the law of god we automatically interpret them in the worst possible light because hey it's so easy to keep if you only tried harder then it wouldn't have been that big a deal right um and so the law of god um is a primary presupposition of of these unhealthy theologies and 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 i would say it's the number one idea that kills your local church's mission is the idea that god's law is an imposed construct because when you have that idea how do you interact with a culture that is constantly breaking this legal code right you interact with them the same way you would interact with criminals right uh with suspicion um with disdain and with judgment, because hey, you know, if you were a good person and uh, and you tried a little harder, you you wouldn't be so um, you know <laughs> so bad, I guess. Um, so this idea that the law of God is an imposed construct definitely affects our capacity to do mission. And sometimes, what happens is, especially if we live in a Western Context. I don't know about other contexts, but certainly true of the West, we have this certain level of civilized, uh, not, not civilized, that's not what the word I'm looking for, um, etiquette or, um, you know, we, we kind of know that this, you know, not to be rude to people and, and you have to be nice to people. And so that kind of simmers down how rough we would be with people if we really, if, if we didn't have those etiquettes, right? Um but if you remove those etiquettes, what you end up with is, you know, and, and some Christians do. Some Christians say, oh, forget the etiquettes. I'm just going to speak the truth because that's what matters. You know, I've, I've met them all the time. I'm sure you have too. And it's based on this idea God's law is this imposed construct that we have to impose it and we have to enforce it and the standards must be enforced and blah, 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 blah. Um, and you meet people like this and it's heartbreaking because it's like, dude, what was the last time you reached someone for Christ, right? Um, it's, it's just heartbreaking so what's the flip side then you know the flip side is that the law of god as we see in scripture is not an imposed legal code right and and, and so let me explain this as simply as possible so i can move on to the other four points without taking too much time and like i said i'm going to write future articles on this and if you want more information check out my book Weird weirdvolution um, and also the whole in adventism you can get them at the story church project store the online store They're seven dollars each you can get them there and those books go into way more detail. Um, so you can check them out there, but here's the brief analysis. So we know that, the, that that God is a God of love, fundamentally a God of love, not sentimental, gushy love, but love is a principle, right? Love, other centered love, agape love. And that everything that God does is is an outflow of His love. So He created us, you know, to be recipients of His love as an outflow of His love. He, he didn't create us because He needed us or because He wanted slaves or people to worship Him, right? He created us to pour His love into us. Um, and 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 so this love ethic is is the ground, is the foundation of God's kingdom, is the foundation of God's character, is the foundation of God's government. And so what happens is. Um, when God creates the world, he creates it to operate according to the 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 the, the rhythm of love is the best way to probably put it. Um, he creates it to reflect his own heart. He creates it to reflect his own character. So the law is really, it's not imposed. It is the natural design of reality. God designed reality to naturally reflect his heart as a heart of love, a heart of other-centeredness, an agape heart. And so when god creates reality to reflect this everything that happens in reality uh, when when the when the world is in in harmony with god's law what it really is it's in harmony with his love it's in harmony with his heart it's in, you know there's this one pulse um ellen white says in the great controversy at the very end of of the great controversy she says you know one one pulse of harmony beats through the vast creation what she referring to is she's referring to the heart of god right this idea that everything in creation is designed to reflect his heart and that's what his law is and and jesus was very clear you know you love the lord your god with all your heart mind and soul you love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments right so the law of god is not an imposed construct the law of god is a design that's how reality is designed to operate it's designed to operate in reflection of his heart and so when sin enters the world, what happens is that that design is damaged it's damaged externally and it's damaged internally so that you and i are born with a natural predisposition not to live for others which is what love is which is what the design is but to live for self which is what the breaking of the design is so for example when the bible says that um you know uh the sin is the transgression of the law like what is it really saying you know Um, Some people look at that and say, see, sin is the transgression of the law, sin is doing bad things. Well, you have to ask the question: what is the law? Right? When it says sin is the transgression of the law, well, what is the law? And it's very clear as you look, especially through Jesus' writings, that the law is love. And so, really fundamentally, sin is the breaking of love. It's the breaking of other-centered living. Um, And so the law of God is itself a law of love, it is the design of reality. And when people are living a life of, of breaking the law of God, what that shows me is, hey, they're not just people who need to get their act together and need to behave better and need to, you know, all of that stuff. They, they are people like myself who are fundamentally broken and they will never be healed by just appealing to behavior, because behavior is not a problem, right? Behavior is just the symptom of the problem that we're, we're broken fundamentally from our birth. And so what we really, when we understand what the law of God is, we understand that the law of God is the design of love. Uh, it, it helps us missionally because now we can see other people not only people outside in the culture but even people within our own church who struggle to live according to the law of god right we recognize okay we're not dealing with a legal code that people just need to comply with we're dealing with a design that's broken within all of us and you know what how can we support each other how can we come together as a community how can we lift each other up so that our lives are, are are inspired and moved in the direction of being in harmony with this design and and that requires healing right not preaching that requires um nurturing not lectures and and, and so this makes a giant difference right it's a, it's a minor distinction it might seem at the very beginning But really, without the legal construct, without this imposed law construct, last generation theology could not exist. It's the primordial presupposition that then leads to everything else. And whether you believe in last generation theology or not, like I said, I don't really care. What I'm really concerned with is the undergirding ideas. And this primordial presupposition is super dangerous. And it's affecting our capacity to do mission on so many different ways that i've mentioned a few but i'm sure you can think of many others when we realize that god's law is a design law that it's it it is the transcript of his character as as ellen white says right it's the transcript of his character that it reflects his heart then you realize okay breaking the law of god is not a behavioral thing and that's actually point number two so i'm going to pause there because i'm going to wrap up point number one and then move on to point number two point number one again the law of god is in his post construct that idea is going to kill your local church's mission and it's also going to kill your capacity to do mission one-on-one friendship evangelism because what tends to happen um and and look i can't say that there is some sort of research connection here but this is my serious this is like a serious uh, guess um, that I make based on just the many years of being an Adventist and seeing the interactions. Um, I'd love to see some research on this, but here's my guess, man. So many Adventists find it impossible to do mission or or, or or you know like evangelism with people who are too different from them. So it's like we develop these evangelistic models where we can reach people who are already sort of like us, and and that's because you know. I think that that's because we have this legal law construct that we're trying so hard to keep and we're trying so hard to be good at that you know we we can't get too close with people who are way far from that. And so our evangelism tends to be a box. It's like we'll reach people. We want to reach the lost, yes, but we want to reach the ones who are sort of kind of already like us um, because that keeps us safe too. Whereas when we recognize that God's law is a design law, then it's a completely different dynamic it's a completely different relationship and i can go on about it forever and ever but i'm going to pause there because i want to get on to the second one um, but i hope that that first point makes sense if your local church is a church that believes that god's law is an imposed legal code that we have to comply with it's going to kill your mission bottom line number two uh, this is another underlying idea that is very popular in last generation theology it's not a Uh, primordial presupposition but it's certainly one of the pillars of the um, of the theology and it's certainly an idea that permeates different sectors of our church as well and that's the idea that sin is just a choice now i've already tapped on this right when you have a legal code an imposed code uh, view of the law then it's very natural to then think well sin is just a choice you know sin is you chose to do the bad thing and now you know you need to make it right you know sort of like this 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 legal model right you need to make it right Um, and then Jesus comes in and he makes it right for you but then you better live the the rest of your life perfectly or else, you know, it doesn't count like these ideas are super duper dangerous, right And, and super unhealthy what we've seen is if the law of God is a design then sin is a breaking of the design and you have to ask well, why in the world do people sin? we sin because we're broken we sin because the design of love is not functioning within us we're not born under that design we're born under another design the design of self and so sin is not just a choice and i've heard this so many times oh sin is the transgression of the law End of story and like i said what is the law right the law is a reflection of god's heart of love it is love and and so If I am transgressing the law, I am transgressing love. And I got to ask the question, like why in the world would anyone want to transgress love? Why would any of us want to break the design of love? It's because we're born that way, right? We're born with a natural predisposition to break that design. And what happens is when you recognize that sin is not a choice, but it is a fundamental brokenness within, then you take your eyes off of yourself for the solution. And this is a big problem when we see sin merely as a choice it's so easy to look at ourselves for the solution okay so i made the choice to sin and if i have more faith and if i read my bible more and if i do i had a guy tell me one time hey you want to overcome the sins in your life you got to wake up at four o'clock in the morning every day to read your bible like that was his solution now there's nothing wrong with waking up at 4 a.m to read the bible if you can do that go for it but that's not the solution you know um, praying harder is not the solution. Going to church more is not the solution. Reading more books about whatever it is you're struggling with is not the solution, right? If sin is a choice, then those things are the solution. And, but if sin is a breaking of the design within you, there's something within you that's broken, then you need to look outside of yourself for the solution to that. And, and the only place that you can go to is Christ because Jesus alone has lived out the design of love perfectly and he alone is capable of not only covering our, our our brokenness and our sin but he's also capable of restoring us to live lives of love of healing the brokenness within right so, so that we can live lives of love um and so this idea that sin is a choice it affects us tremendously now i remember um, i don't remember who wrote this man i wish i could it's one of the light bearer guys but I just can't remember his name. So please forgive me because I'm, I'm about to throw up a quote. And, um, and uh, <laughs> I don't remember who it is that said it. I know it's one of the guys on Light Lightbearers. But it was something along the lines of legalism is not just how you relate to the law. It's how you relate to people who break the law. Right? And, and, and when you believe that the law of God is an impulse construct, you naturally tend to believe that the sin is just a choice. Um, and that leads you to treat people who break the law a certain way and 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 you can sit there and say i don't believe we're saved by the law but if you treat lawbreakers um with intolerance and injustice then you're a legalist i don't care what your theology is right if 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 someone in your family um you know is is a lawbreaker or or someone that you know in your church is a lawbreaker and you're one of these people who you know like comes down real hard you know the the sort of old school i call sin by its right name uh type people and I don't want to mock the idea of calling sin by its right name, but I do what I what I do want to rebuke is the narcissism that we usually baptize under. I'm calling sin by its right name, right? And and so what we do is we take this idea of calling sin by its right name, which we see in scripture is is often done in tears in agony, um, and agony, and. And we use it as a, as a club to hit people over the head. And what we're really doing is we're taking our pride and our narcissism and our arrogance, our moral superiority complex to smash other people with it. And then when someone complains, we're like, well, you know, I have to call somebody by right name. Like you can fool everybody, man, but you're not going to fool God with that. Um. But he, you know, this is this is the fundamental issue. It's the reason why I'm bringing it up. It's because these things damage a local church's capacity to do mission. And one of the keys here at the Story Church Project is that our 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 churches are struggling in mission, not just because we have bad structures. It's because we have bad theology. We have unhealthy theology. Theology that's not really Adventist to begin with. It's stuff that we've developed over the years and um and we and we hold on to it you know and we promote it and and it really affects our ability to to do life with people you know particularly secular western people whose moral ethical code is so different from our own it's like what do you do when you sit down with one of these guys you know what do you do when you sit down with one of these girls and you try and explain your faith to them it won't make any sense whatsoever and and in fact I've seen it happen time and time again and I've had I've even had um quite a few of of uh you know these sort of millennial emerging generations um that I've spoken to over the years who are like dude you're my last shot. I'm going to give you one chance to answer these questions for me because I've had people in church give me their answers and I'm telling you they don't make any sense and I'm ready to walk out of this thing. So I'm I'm telling you like <laughs> no pressure but this is your this is I'm asking you and i hope that you can give me a good answer because if you can't i'm done with this right i've had that conversation you know those conversations and um it's not easy and it's not pretty but the reason why we struggle to give compelling and meaningful answers to a lot of these questions is because we're locked in these constrictive unbiblical frameworks the law of god is an impulse construct sin is just a choice come on like that's more than just theology that's life it's going to affect your capacity to do meaningful ministry with people who um come from a totally different perspective and background um so that's number two number one sin is imposed contract number two sin is a sin is a choice um those are two ideas that are going to kill your local church's mission let me fly, fly through the last three um number three uh we must become perfect to be saved or for the great controversy to end now this is one that i was highlighting with mike in last week's episode how to um how to free your church from last generation theology and a lot of people you know like i like i said in the q a at the beginning um write back and say oh that's not really what lgt teaches and again look i don't really care what lgt teaches all i know is that the idea that we're supposed to become perfect to be saved or for the great controversy to end is an idea that is alive and prevalent within the church and whether you label it lgt or not i don't really care about that ping pong game what i want to know is why do we believe this nonsense and how can we get rid of it because this is an idea that definitely affects mission and and i mean it affects so many things it's you know mission is one of them personal relationship with god is another i mean lots of different things uh, the idea that we have to become perfect to be saved. look i believe in the perfection of christian character like every time i walk into a church and nobody says hello uh, i'm reminded of that quote by ellen white when the character of christ is perfectly reproduced in his people then he'll come to claim them as his own Right. When I hear people in, 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 in the church perpetuating racist um, ideology, uh, particularly it usually happens in this in this in in, in, in the sphere of music. Where it's like, hey, the only right music, what it really usually boils down to is the only right music to worship God with is white music. Because if your music comes from Africa or Asia or any of those other places where uh, it's not Eurocentric and white culture, then your music is demonic and evil. right? This is basic racial ideology. And I'm not saying that everyone who believes this stuff is racist, by the way. But I am saying that these ideas are, are, are very prevalent and they're rooted in these um, completely anti-biblical Perspectives, And so when I hear this stuff being perpetuated, I remember, you know, like the character of Christ is going to be perfectly reproduced in his people. And it's so, like I believe in character perfection. I don't believe it the way LGT promotes it. And that's a totally separate story uh, for maybe for another time. But I definitely do believe in character perfection. Um, but I don't believe that my performance and, and, and how good I get has anything to do with whether or not I walk into the kingdom of heaven. Right. Like I believe that when I give my life to Jesus, I am safe in him. And because I'm safe in him, because my relationship with him is safe, that's why I can grow. That's why I can grow and and, and perfect Christian character. It's because I'm safe in him. But, you know, like when I used to believe LGT, it was like, oh, man, did I do good enough? You know, is there anything in my life that I haven't confessed? Is there anything in my life that I haven't done right? Um, All of these different things and like you live in a constant state of paranoia because you're trying to accomplish this perfection. And then you'll have people who try and baptize that legalism, which is basically what it is. They try and baptize it in Christian terminology like, "Oh, look, but it's not you, it's Jesus does it," you know, and, and you just, you know, Jesus gives you the strength and you just have to give it to him and he'll give you the strength and he'll give you the victory. And really at the end what you end up with is this idea that it's what Jesus does plus what I do equals salvation. And that's not true salvation is jesus only plain and simple and the more you think that you have to do something in order to earn salvation the less capable you're going to be of reaching the culture because you're going to be too preoccupied with your saving your own skin um way too preoccupied with that that you won't have the capacity or the energy to to connect with people who are broken and lost and 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 you know wandering through our culture and um you know this is this is really big like this is an idea like i said whether LGT teaches it or not you know if people want to debate that you can go ahead and start a symposium somewhere and debate that i'm not really interested in that but what i do believe is that this is an idea that exists and it exists very well within our church and it damages a lot of young people and it damages a lot of seekers um and uh, and again it damages our capacity to do mission effectively um another idea is like look okay we don't have to be perfect to be saved but the great controversy won't end until we become perfect and look i i personally believe that there's going to be a final generation that's going to reflect the heart of god like i believe that and i also believe that our reflecting god's heart is a catalyst for for a social transformation because when people see the heart of god reflected in us uh they ask more questions our our, our, our gospel is more believable right when they see it reflected in our lives. But for us to sit here and say that the great controversy, the battle between good and evil cannot end until a group of human beings get their act together is basically what Mike was saying in the previous um, podcast episode, that we've basically done what the Catholics do, right? We've created a co-redeemer, only instead of Mary, it's the last generation, right? Like this whole thing can't end until this group of people shows up. So like Jesus is enough. You know like he's not enough um the gospel is not enough his spilled blood is not enough you need this last group of people um and and this is really problematic and it affects mission again like if you ever read um the book my tortured conscience by martin weber he talks about trying really really hard to you know perfect his character and that the more hard the, the more you know effort he put into perfecting his character the um the worst of a person he really became like he had less patience for things that he felt were getting in the way of his perfecting christian character so i think if i remember correctly there's a scene in the book where he talks about you know he was trying to contemplate the life of christ for an hour like ellen white says and um and this cat walked up to him and he brushed the cat off like hey i don't have time for you go away Because I'm trying to perfect my character right now that's a microcosm of what actually happens when we're obsessed with our own personal piety is that people become a nuisance and and I've seen it like I've seen so many people in this sphere of thought they're like oh I gotta leave the city I gotta move out into the country you know and not even the country like I mean I'm talking neck of the woods you know (laughs) off the grid my water comes from the rain type stuff and look there's nothing wrong with that like if you want to do that like please do it like it's cool i think it's cool but it's the reason why some people do this stuff that really disturbs me it's not the moving out to the country going to the mountains getting a place off the grid that doesn't bother me at all it's the reason why people do it like people do it because they feel like hey if i do this i'll become more perfect and i'll be away from society because society drives me down and really this is no different to the uh to the desert fathers the mystics in in early catholicism who left society behind to live in these monasteries in the deserts all by themselves in order to perfect their holiness. Uh, we see the same thing taking place today with people in the Adventist church who are like, oh, I got to leave the city. I got to leave this. I got to leave that, you know, because y'all are holding me back. Um, it's the same ideology that's undergirding it. And so this idea that we have to become perfect in order for God to accept us, in order for us to be saved, in order for the great controversy to end, um, it's, it's going to affect your personal relationship with God. It's going to affect um, your local church as well. And ultimately, it's going to affect mission big time because in, in worst case scenarios people end up isolating themselves uh and you know what's the point like jesus said what you know you're the salt of the earth right like salt doesn't work unless it mingles like you know you don't just put salt in a corn or somewhere you you pour it in your rice and your beans so that as the salt mingles with everything else that it tastes better that's how salt works so jesus says look you're the salt of the earth that means you gotta mingle man um and and really I, i'm of the opinion that if your holiness Um, only works when you're off in the middle of the woods by yourself then it's not holiness right holiness counts when it's in the midst of ugliness when it's in the midst of pain and suffering and heartache and 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 you know rebellion and and you're in that space and you can reflect god's heart and god's character in really attractive ways in that space that's holiness right um all right i'm gonna move on number four that was number three number four um, we alone have the truth. This is an idea that's going to kill your local church's mission. All right. Number 1, um emerging postmodern, meta-modern generations, the moment you start talking about you're the only one who has the truth, uh they're done with you, right? Like this is not cool. Um the moment you start badmouthing other denominations or other religious expressions, even Catholicism, like you're you're pretty much shutting down your opportunity to connect with them and usually when i share this with people there's always gonna there's always that one person who's like hey that's not true because i was a secondary person and i came to the church and i heard all that stuff and i actually liked it and i'm like hey i'm really glad that you did there's always an exception to the rule all right i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the general consensus what happens most often yes there's always going to be one odd guy who defies all of the norms um but generally speaking if you go down this track we alone have the truth um yeah you're really shutting your you're shooting yourself in the foot when it comes to reaching the culture and there's lots of local Adventist churches that hold on to this idea right they're the only ones who have the truth and it's really problematic because it's narcissism baptized in religious language um it's sectarianism baptized in bible words and I, can't think of, I can think of very few things that, that I find as irritating um, as when someone is doing something that's unChrist-like and they baptize it in, in, in biblical language in order to make it sound pious and, and godly. I believe that the local Adventist church, well, I believe Adventism as a movement it has something to say that nobody else is saying. And I don't apologize for that, right? Like, I don't think that Adventism is just another denomination. You know, there's the Baptist and the Pentecostals, and then there's the Adventists. So you just kind of pick and choose. You know, they're all the same, a little differences. No, I don't believe that at all. And if you want to know exactly why, that's what my book, Weird Ventism, goes into. Um, sorry, Weird Volution, goes into. Um, but the thing is this. Despite the fact that I believe that Adventism is a unique and unheard of expression of the heart of God in in our contemporary world, that doesn't mean we're the only ones with the truth, right? That doesn't mean we're the only ones who've got it right. In fact, it doesn't even mean that we've got it all right. You know, Ellen White's really clear that we should never come to the place where we think we've got all the truth because as truth, as time advances, God reveals new things. And so even though I believe that we have the truth and that we have something to say that others haven't found before, something beautiful, something compelling, if we can express it properly, it's powerful. Even though I believe that, that doesn't mean I believe we've got it all figured out. I believe that we understand what God has revealed to us up to this point, and that we understand it in a really beautiful and compelling way and after having have studied many theological systems, I believe that we understand it in a beautiful and compelling way that others don't capture. And that's one of the reasons why I love Adventist theology and the narrative, the story that we've been called to tell. But I don't think for one moment that there's nothing left for God to show us or that we are the only ones that God reveals stuff to, right? Like I still learn from many other people and many other different religions um, and denominations, right? So you know this we alone have the truth is a really problematic idea that's really rooted in our narcissism and uh, our desire to have a superiority complex and we baptize that in religious jargon and um, make it sound like hey what we're really doing is standing up for the truth when really what we're doing is standing up for our ego. Uh, And this is an idea that really damages local church missions. so I want to inspire you guys you know wherever you are in your local churches. Um, I'll give you some pointers in a minute. Um, this is an idea that we definitely have to let go of uh, because it kills our capacity to do mission. The last one, number five, our job is to warn the world about all the bad stuff. Now, I've phrased that in my own words, but this is an idea that I've seen in local churches all my life. It's this idea that the Adventist church exists to warn the world about all the bad stuff. Like, this is why we exist, Right. Um, and I'll tell you why I find this idea really problematic. Um, because it's not true. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I love how, oh, what's this guy's name? I got to remember somebody's name I'm going to quote today. Um, the guy from, is it, it is written? Oh man, I forgot his name. He's from New Zealand. He's a preacher from New Zealand. John Bradshaw. Yeah, Bradshaw, that's the guy. Um, I remember years ago in a sermon, he said something I never forgot. He said, um, some people worry more about the coming crisis than they do about the coming Christ. Don't be one of those, right? And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of our local churches are plagued by this unhealthy idea that our job is to warn the world about all the bad stuff. Uh, and look, there's some bad stuff coming. Like, believe you me, man, I can't stand these churches that act like, you know, especially Adventist churches because I feel like we should know better that act like it's all you know sprinkles and unicorns and that if we just talk about love all the time everything will be fine like i don't believe that at all like i believe there's some crazy stuff that's happening already and that's coming and that we need to talk about it right like we need to talk about it and 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 see like how does god's love interact with these uncomfortable ideas and and how do we make sense of them in a redemptive way and and speak life into them right um and and really be prepared for for this stuff Like, I believe it. Like, there's some crazy stuff coming. You know, I don't know when, but, you know, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully not too soon. Um, But I don't think for one moment that our job exclusively is to warn the world about all the bad stuff. I believe that the local Adventist church, the mission of the local Adventist church, is to reveal God's character to the world. God's character of love. God's heart, right? To reveal God's heart to the world. To reveal it through the story that we tell. That's our theology. Uh, which means our theology has to be healthy and balanced and 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 nurturing not all this nonsense that I've been talking about that's damaging and unhealthy and um, and divisive. Our theology has to be healthy so the story that we tell that's one way in which we communicate the heart of God and the work that we do right? Our structures, our systems, our ministries, you know, like what do we do? Our churches revolve around a Sabbath morning program or do they revolve around serving the needs of the people around us? Because you kind of can't do both, right? And so I fully believe that our job is to communicate the heart of God into our communities, into our societies, into our neighborhoods, into the world. That's why the local Adventist church exists. And that part of communicating the heart of God is to dialogue and discuss some of the things that the Bible says are going to be you know, coming on this world and looking at them from a redemptive perspective and giving people hope and, and enthusiasm for the future instead of fear. Unfortunately, when we take the position that our job is to warn the world about all the bad stuff, rather than people leaving with enthusiasm about the future, they, they leave afraid. And then they get caught up on all kind of conspiracy theories because because once you have a fear-based religion forget it like <laughs> the sky's the limit as far as how far you'll take that fear um but what if we gave people love instead right what if we gave people enthusiasm instead of cynicism right um hope instead of irony and and we let that sit And we let that marinate in their lives. And then not only did we talk about it, but we invested positively and uplifting ways in their lives and in their community. And we just brought that with us everywhere we went. Not only would people get the warning, but they would get way more than that. They would get the beauty of God's heart, which is really what it's all about. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up because I've been yapping for a while. This episode was titled Five Ideas That Kill Your Local Church's Mission. It's a follow-up to last week's episode with Pastor Mike where we talked about um, last generation theology and its impact on local church. And, it's, uh, and there's also going to be a part two to that conversation probably next week. I'm hoping if everything goes well, we'll have it recorded and ready to go for next week. But this week, I wanted to highlight... Uh, Sort of as an interlude, I guess, the five ideas that kill your local church's mission. And regardless of whether your local church says, yes, we believe in LGT or not, it's not really the issue. It's these five ideas. If you get rid of these five ideas, if we replace them with the truth, right, with with a true biblical picture, not only will our churches be healthier, but they will be capable of reaching the culture so much more. Number one, the law of God is not an imposed construct. It is his design of love. And he, you know, we we break it, number two, not because it's a choice, but because we are fundamentally broken, right? Love is not our operating mechanism. We we operate according to selfishness, which means that the gospel is about God healing us, not about us complying with his law in order to squeeze into heaven, right? It's about God healing us, healing our brokenness from the design. And that healing takes time right it takes a lifetime it's it's a process where we learn to be less selfish and more other centered throughout our lives and some of us you know i mean look there's no formula for that some of us are going to get really far in that journey and others of us are not you know you got the, the the thief who died on the cross next to jesus who didn't even get to get started on the journey um and then you have people like you know john the you know the revelator who was like super old writing the book of revelation and had all those years behind him right like It's different for all of us, but the point is that God wants to heal us toward reflecting the character of Jesus, but that at the end of the day, our security always rests in Jesus and not ourselves. And so, you know what? Do you have to become perfect in order to be saved? Of course not that doesn't mean that perfection doesn't have a place and and it doesn't even mean that perfection is negotiable it just means that it's not a thing that you you know something that you've got to achieve at a particular level in order to be saved or even for the great controversy to end right jesus is the vindication of god and and the great controversy is going to end because jesus is going to pour out is it this revelation of his character of love into the world um it's got nothing to do with whether or not we've gotten our act together at such a good rate that God can now be like, all right, sweet, we're done, right? Um, Number four, we don't have the truth alone. We do have a message that no one else is proclaiming, a story that nobody else is telling, which is really cool. But there's still so much we don't know. And there's still a lot that other people out there do know. And so having that humility is really helpful when it comes to mission. And number five, our job is not to warn the world about all the bad stuff yes we want to warn the world about all the bad stuff but our real job is to communicate the heart of god to a culture that really fundamentally doesn't think very highly of him so those are five ideas that kill your local church's mission and i hope that their counterparts are things that can inspire you to see the possibilities uh, when we approach these issues from a biblical perspective i'm going to write more of this and talk more about it but if you want more details and more you know like bible verses and quotes and all that good research stuff head over to the storychurchproject.com, go to the store tab, download the books Weird Weirdvolution. I think it's called Weird Weirdvolution anyway. Weird um, Weirdvolution, it starts with weird. Let's just leave it at that. And The, the Hole in Adventism. You read those two books, bam, you'll have all the information there. Anyways, gotta go guys. Thank you so much for hanging out again for another episode of the Story Church Podcast. And I will catch you next week. God bless.